Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. I am your host, as always, Steve Hofstetter. If you like the show, uh, comment, subscribe, share with your friends, do all that stuff. And speaking of friends, joined here uh, with Joan Lynch. Um, Joan and I go way back. Uh, Joan is the uh, is the chief content officer at Working Nation. And before that, though, I know you from ESPN. That's right. And in a story I have already told on this podcast, <laughs> but you know it way better than I do because you were you were involved in the whole thing. And also, and before I even get into that, um, I want to say, I want to make it clear um, the, just the vast amounts of respect I have for you. Um, there are, I you know, when you're a comedian, you meet with executives all the time. And, you know, you were, uh, what, what were you, the head of the, like, the content department, Content right? development, yeah. Content development. So what was the official title? Vice President of Content Development. Vice President of Content Development. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you meet with execs all the time, and most of the time, it's just someone in the way. <laughs> right. Like, most of the time you meet with an exec, you're just like, and how did this job happen? <laughs> this is okay. Well, or it's just, you know, a mild, like, okay, this is, you know. But right away from the first time we met, uh, I got along with you very, very well. Um, can we talk about the Barry Bonds story? Sure. Because that was one of my favorite things. So tell the story. Yeah, sure. So we had done a um, reality show with Barry Bonds. Um, and I had actually just finished up working on a Bob Knight reality show. So it was yeah. a, an interesting year, I'll say and that. And this was the Bonds on Bonds? Bonds on Bonds. Uh, and Mike Tolan was involved, and they brought it to us, um, and he was uh, coming up on breaking the record. So it was a pretty interesting time. So this was before everyone had universally agreed that Barry Bonds was a cantaloupe-headed steroid user. Yeah, I mean, it was, was, it was openly discussed, but it was before they actually agreed, yes. Right, and this, and on that show, I very much remember one part of that show where he, his daughter, in a very sweet moment, or seemingly sweet moment. Just to just if if those of you who are watching or listening are not familiar with the character of Barry Bonds, um, and I had been through some stuff because I had written a column for Sports Illustrated urging him to retire, mm. basically saying not everybody knows you as a steroid user yet. Retire now <laughs> before this comes out. Right before everybody just universally accepts this, mm. and I got hate mail for it. I got death threats for it. Uh, love the people who threaten someone's life over mocking their favorite athlete. Um, they uh, two weeks after that column is when the Balco scandal broke. Right. So for those who don't know the full thing, Barry Bonds, uh, very difficult personality, and someone who I specifically did not like. And like there, so there's a moment on Bonds on Bonds where his daughter and he each had, if I remember this correctly, they each had like goldfish. Or they had like pet fish or something, mm-hmm. and his fish died, and so his daughter, who I think was six at the time, <laughs> offers him her fish, in an amazing moment of love and oh, yeah. sweetness of yeah. like, isn't that sweet, Daddy? You can have my fish because you're sad about your fish, and now what he probably meant as a human being is, well, that's just gonna make me think of my fish, and that'll make me sad. But what he said instead was, I could just kill you. <laughs> to a six-year-old. 
So that's the kind of person we're talking about, and that's the belief I had about him, which at the time was not shared by a lot of people. Mm. And so when you told me this story that I'm like teasing and delaying, uh, that immediately I was like, I like this person. Yeah. So, okay, so sorry. So <laughs> that's the stage for the story. So. so Yeah, so I was asked to go out to see him in Arizona to meet him for the first time before we shot the film or shot the show. So I went into his home. It was during spring training. And I had just gotten to Arizona. I'd gone out for a run, so I was pretty tired. And they said, you know, let's go over there. Uh, John Walsh, the executive, was with me from ESPN. Let's go over. Let's have some dinner. He's going to cook dinner for you. So I get there. I'm pretty hungry. Um, you know, and I think, as we all know, there are certain athletes and celebrities who expect you to sort of fall down when you meet them, which is yeah. not really my style in terms of celebrity. Uh, plus, I was really hungry. Yeah. So I got into the house with John, and we went into the living room, and outside the glass door to the pool was a chef cooking up the most magnif magnificent-looking steaks I'd ever seen. And I, so I'm a little distracted. Bond sits down next to me on the couch, and I'm thinking, not only am I going to eat, but I'm going to eat something delicious. I can right. smell it. You know, I'm just... And I'm saying all of that because then Bond sits down on the couch and turns around and slides his bare feet under my leg and leans back and starts to tell me what he wants this show to be. Under your, oh, yeah. that part, I didn't even know that yeah. part of the story. And, and, you know, John Walsh is sort of sitting off to the side and I'm just sitting there. And again, you know when you deal with celebrities, athletes, musicians, different types, not, you know, obviously not the good ones, they're going to try to put themselves in a position of power, and that's what he was doing. Yeah. He was trying to say, this is my show. But, I'm going to be the boss. But also, do you think he would have done that to you if you were a guy? No, of course not. No, yeah. of course not. I like, mean, John Walsh was right there, and he's a lovely man, but no, I don't yeah, think he John was sitting Walsh in. John Walsh had a leg. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so we proceed to go sit down for dinner, and everybody comes around the table, his folks. I sat on one side of Barry, who was the head of the table, and his chef comes in, and he Barry's talking about how he stole this chef from another Major League Baseball player. Yeah. And it was a big deal for him because he really wanted to steal the chef. And they bring the steaks out, and they put it on the corner of the table. And then they bring out a bag from P.F. Chang's. Oh, and they proceed to pull paper plates out and put them in front of me, pull out warm soda cans, put them in front of me, and dump the P.F. Chang's onto a plate in front of me while Barry is serving himself up this steak. And I just said, what is that? And I pointed to his steak and he said, that's my dinner. And I said, well, what is this? And he said, that's your dinner. And I just pushed the plate away and I used some profanity. Yeah. Um, and Which is good for you. I mean, I was like, no. and I was also a position where I really, I knew at that moment I had to sort of set, uh, set the stand that going forward with this show, you're not going to push me around, um, yeah. which was how it went for the rest of the time. Um, and he said, effing eat that. And I said, I'm not effing eating that. And we You went can curse on the show, by the way. It's perfectly yeah. fine. I'm, I'm, I, try to, I try to cut down myself, <laughs> but it might come out. I, I have certain stories that I might. But it, it, I it can was, translate it for people. So Barry said, you're going to fucking eat that. That's and right. And then you said, I'm not going to fucking eat that. That's right. Yeah, so now you everybody, got that right. you in, case, in case people, yeah. Um, uh, and then, you know, I proceeded not to eat. He proceeded to talk for hours. Um, and then they brought in, same thing, beautiful desserts for him and brought in a, you know, dessert from three days ago out of his fridge and just threw it in front yeah. of me. And, yeah. And also, nothing against P.F. Chang's. No. 
But like in a regular situation when I'm hungry, I'd yeah. be okay with that. Uh, absolutely. But the idea of going to the lengths, <laughs> it's they're already making food. You're <laughs> sending someone out. This is before Uber Eats. This, <laughs> this is before. Is before. Yeah. yeah. You're sending someone out to go get food as a spe- specifically as a power play. Yeah. What, what kind of a dick move is that? Well, I just remember it was funny because a couple of days later he called me on my cell phone and it was the middle of the night because I was on the East Coast and he called and it was after a game and he wanted to talk and I said, I don't want to talk. We can talk tomorrow. And he says, I want to talk to you, motherfucker. So I'll yeah. use the word there. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that. I want to talk to you, motherfucker. And I said, Barry, I can assure you I am not sleeping with your mother. And I hung up on him. Nicely done. And it, that that proceeded to be the relationship going forward with us. It was yeah. this. He enjoyed that back and forth. I did not particularly enjoy it. The show ended up getting canceled because of Barry and bringing in sheriffs into an edit room and like a lot of drama that is not unexpected. And threatening his child. Yeah, well, yeah. That, the fish thing was something. Yeah. <laughs> um, not in, but that was I don't again, remember anything else about the show except that scene that scene was horrifying yeah you know it's really interesting because i've spent most of my career trying to find the character and trying often to find the goodness in people yeah um and in the case of working with athletes most of which i've worked with have been wonderful you know they're they're people and they love their sport or they love their teammates or they love their mom you know you always find these types of stories yeah there wasn't there wasn't so many good things it was to, hard find. to find. I will say this before I left his house, I I went into the bathroom. They sent me in. I said, "I have to use the bathroom," and they sent me into his bathroom. And I did open the medicine cabinet. Of that course, was, that was my, I didn't know if I could bring that up or not. That was my favorite thing that you told me yeah. because the idea of like this guy's going to go out of his way to try to distance himself and make himself bigger than the rest of us <laughs> mm-hmm. and give you know lukewarm Chinese food. I'm going to go see if he's on steroids in his medicine cabinet. Yeah. Which is great. Skull and crossbones. I mean, I was looking for it. I didn't take <laughs> just, anything. Just something. But I just thought if I find something, maybe I don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. I just also love the idea of like hoping just something's marked steroids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like like it's a generic cola in a, in a TV ad. I, I mean, it's still one of the moments in my life, one story that I think would be really well animated. Oh, absolutely. With the I size would, of the gotta, head we gotta and, do the, that. and the stakes. And we got to absolutely do that. Um, yeah, I think that'd yeah. be fun. Uh, I, just, I just loved that story because it, it showed me your character very quickly because mm. it showed me that, like, you're not willing to be pushed around. You have a sense of humor, mm-hmm. you know, and also you have similar viewpoints to I have, you know, that I have on cheaters. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so... And then we started working together at ESPN, mm-hmm. kind of. Kind of. Kind of. We launched what could have been, <laughs> <laughs> what could have been years of successful work at ESPN. Um, and then, and, and you you really took a chance on me. Mm. I was, you know, the, w- w- what year was this? Oh uh, six. Yeah, I, would, I think it would have to be 06. That's yeah. about right. Yeah, and so this was, you know, I'm I'm in my mid twenties. I don't really have many, you know, credits to speak of, and yet you liked my ideas, mm-hmm. and you gave me a shot. Mm-hmm. And so, and I know I've, I talked about this on episode twenty, but uh, you know, w- we started talking about appearing on other shows. We started talking about um, I started writing some sketches. Yep, um, and then my 
the most unbelievable thing to me was the sitcom, mm -hmm. was the Sage Steel Project. Yes. And the idea that you were willing to give me a shot at that yeah. when I was completely unproven just because you didn't like the writing of the people who were. Mm-hmm. That's and, right. And then it went dark. Didn't it go dark? You weren't the type of person who I would suddenly not hear from. Like you were, that happens all the time where like, I met with someone three months ago on an idea and he was super jazzed about it. Mm. And he was like, yeah, let's follow up Monday. And I sent him an email, nothing. A month later, I sent him a text, nothing. Uh, I, you know, a couple weeks after that, I sent him one more email being like, hey, what's going on? Nothing. Mm. I get a message from him two days ago saying like, oh, hey, you know, just running it up the flagpole and blah, blah. And it's, like, there are a lot of people that don't have the, you know, the respect of give me a minute. Right. And you were someone who you were very communicative. I never worried about that. And then suddenly I just didn't hear from you. Well, and in our industry, I always think it's just the respectful thing to do when you're working as a freelancer in fields that you were in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was at a, a large company. I was able to have these conversations back and forth, but I understood when someone would come in and talk to me that there had to be some, even if it's closure, even if it's, yeah. hey, you know, this isn't gonna work out. Um, but I find that to be respectful because you want people to go on. I, I obviously realized that you were brilliant and Thank you. really brilliant and also really knew your sports. You were funny. You were passionate. Um, and I don't know if this makes you uncomfortable. One of the, you were going through something in your personal life with, um, with your ex-wife who was sick at the time. And yeah. I remember sitting across from you in my office and you said, hey, I got to slow some things down for a month. Yeah. I will come, but I'm out for a month because I have to take care of this, and this is my number one priority, and that stuck with me. So uh, it was it was a shared, um, equal respect on both sides. But I I saw you as a character that uh, I could trust, and that I wanted to help. I've spent most of my career looking at people and saying, you know, I want to help bring your brilliance to a different audience. Well, and it was it was so much appreciated, and it was such a it was a, a oh so it actually couldn't have been 06 then because so it had to be more recent you're you're right i remember that conversation where i was talking about my my ex went through some you know pretty major surgery and that's i think when we first met yeah so yeah. that had to be so that was uh 2009 right so yeah summer 2009 so uh yeah which i think i i think is when or yeah or early 2010 when she went through mm -hmm. it anyway the point is it was you know we're talking a decade ago and you know we're Ugh. talking about a time in my life where I did not exactly have a lot of credits, right? And so <laughs> I get all excited. And also, I want to get I want to just circle back on this thing for a second, and then we're going to tell the story. Um, the idea of getting back to people hmm. is something. It is very respectful. The there the two reasons I think people don't do it is one, cowardice, right? Because in, in both not wanting confrontation. And also not wanting to be the person who said no to someone who later becomes a genius. <laughs> right. Like who didn't recognize genius early. Yes, yeah, And true. so a lot of times people will just be like, yeah, we should work together sometime. And then they never call back and they never do anything. And then that person goes ahead and creates a brilliant television show that wins, wins multiple Emmys. And then you can meet with that person again and be like, why didn't we ever work together? Right. And they don't have the rejection email. Right. You know, they don't have the clear cut you said no to me. Mm -hmm. And so that's why people do it. Although I believe that treating someone without, you know, with not 
like not giving them respect is just as bad, actually worse than saying no. Right. And then the other thing is on our side, there are a lot of us who can't take that, who mm. can't take a no. That's true. I, when I was running, um, you know, I, I used to own a couple comedy clubs and my philosophy was always get back to everybody, tell them yes or no. Mm. When they, when they are putting themselves out there and they're submitting, don't make them email you once every three months following up to see if it's okay. Right. Just be like, hey, you're not a fit. Right. You know, good luck to you. Nothing against you. Just not a fit. Right. And probably 75%, 25% of the people that I said that to took that as motivation mm. and as, all right, I'm going to work harder and I'm going to get there. Mm. And some of those people ended up being fits. And some of those people, you know, th there's... There's one I could think of who's a very close friend of mine now, and I've worked with a ton. Mm -hmm. And but about seventy five percent of them, which is really way too many, <laughs> would well, fuck you. Then you don't know my brilliance, right? And it's like, do, do I? Do I not? I've yeah. been, I've been of all the comedians I've rejected over the course of my career, I've been wrong once. Mm. Um, I've definitely been wrong accepting some people, but um, Rory Scovel, who is brilliant and wonderful and a love and a death and a good person, seemingly, um, when he submitted, he he sent an old tape mm. and which, you know, that's on him. But at the same time, I should have been able to see, you know, OK, he's definitely got flashes of brilliance in this and, you know, et cetera. And within within a year, he had already risen. And so that's the one. And I've told him that I've told him, like, you are my regret, <laughs> like you are brilliant and I didn't see it. And I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, uh, so we'll talk about what happened, how the house of cards came crumbling down mm. um, after this break. Okay, so, uh, and a refresher, in case anyone has not listened to episode 20, um, the, the Sage Steel project was um, ESPN had a deal with ABC because they're owned by the same people. Mm -hmm. And there was going to be a sitcom about Sage Steel's life. Mm -hmm. And you had given me the chance to write it. Right. Because, you know, you got a lot of cliche submissions. Right. And meanwhile, I had another show that I had pitched. The original reason I came in, I had pitched a sports version of The Daily Show. And then you were also looking at me as putting me on as talent on other shows so that the audience would get to know me so that we could potentially spin off to my own show. Right. And so that's, for me what was at stake for you it was way more because this was your actual job not the job you hoped you would have right and so what happened uh well i mean things were going well i think for um we had just moved part of our espn team out to los angeles john skipper had said yes go um i had just signed a new three-year contract um and really because we were spending Coming off of 30 for 30, we were spending so much time in L.A. Also, I really love the weather. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to be cliche about it. Um, but That's why I'm here. We started having meetings with the folks over at ABC Primetime, and they were fabulous, really fabulous. And um, I had just gone to an ESPN event where Stage Steel had told her story to, I think, a bunch of um, folks internally and about her father coming out of West Point. Um, her her kids calling him the general and how funny he was and this whole idea of the general and this beautiful, stunning, well-spoken, 
um, African American woman who goes on to be, you know, on the air in sports and then goes on to be on the air at the highest level in the U.S. at ESPN. Yeah, and sort of how she was. She, uh, her husband is white. They have these beautiful children. Just as she was telling this story, it to me was well, this is the American family. This is what it looks like. Yeah. And I love the fact that there was an older generation in there that was um, mentoring and helping. And so that's what I, we brought up in the meeting to ABC. And they said, we love it. So then I had to go back and tell Sage. <laughs> she yeah. didn't, I mean, she didn't even know me. We met in a lobby at a, during, I think, the upfronts. And I said, hey, I sort of pushed out this idea. And she came out to LA and met with everyone. Um, and that's when it moved directly into yeah, let's get a script. And ABC had given us some folks to talk to, um, and you came to mind. Because I thought you I, you understood it. You, I also knew you had an incredibly strong relationship with your father. Yeah. And that was a lot of what Sage, Sage had talked about, she and her father. Um, so it was a go. There was also one about um, Boston fans. It was a separate show that we were moving forward with. Um, and then, uh, long story short, a lot of stuff was going on at at ESPN. I had just been picked as like a you know future leader of Disney and ESPN, and we get called to New York. I jump on a plane, and they let us go. They just said we're we're letting you guys go, um, which was shocking. Did they fly you to New York to fire you? Yes. And technically, yeah, and technically, I wasn't fired. I had this contract that they. You know, would pay pay out and the whole yeah. thing, but they said um, we're not going to continue to do this. And um, I remember going to the airport, and I called my ex husband and had a beer. Who I, you were married to at the time? I was married to at the time, and I had a beer, and I was relieved in a way because. I had had some other offers and I knew that I was really, even working with you and the ABC folks, I knew I, I was stirring up some creative stuff and I was ready for something new. Yeah. But it's devastating when you have a team that has just been told out of the blue when you're doing really, really well. We were doing, it wasn't just 30 for 30. There was you know, a New Year's Eve show that we were killing it on. We were killing it on a lot of different levels. Yeah. To be told, you're gone. Um, and so w why did they, so they folded the entire content department? Yeah, they kept on um, the folks to continue on the the uh, the documentary unit, um, but the rest of us were let go. Keith, who was my uh, my manager, was not there. Um, I was there, but he was let go, and the rest of my development crew. Yeah. Who had, by the way, it, you know, the hard thing also was a bunch of them had just made the decision to move across the country with me when I said, "Look, I'm going." John Skipper has very graciously agreed to give us these, you know, staple center offices. And if you want to transplant Gorgeous offices, that's where we yeah. that's where we met. So we had these people, some Vinnie Malhotra, who's fantastic, who I knew at ABC News and now is at Showtime. Like a lot of these folks that that oh, man. had gotta, moved across the country. I got to reach out to him. He was he was like the kind of the conduit, the go between, which he was great. Yes. Yeah. So it was it was uh, shocking and scary for a lot of people. You yeah. Know, he had a young child. He had moved across the country. It hadn't even been 10 months. And a lot of them probably didn't have the the contract that would still pay them out. They, you know, if, That's you, right. if you have a, you know, a lower level position. That's right. You're just working until you're not. Right. And I don't think I've ever had a position now you know i'm in a different side of the industry but i don't think i've ever had a we can fire you but still have to pay you contract right which i mean i know people who have those contracts in completely other industries and i was like how do you how yeah. do you get that yeah. i want one of those yeah 
All uh, the things I've been fired from, they've just been over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was. it's a nice testament to the work that I had done and what I had created Absolutely. so far um, at ESPN um, and had worked really, really hard to do and had hoped at that point that I could then um, possibly transition something then over to the broader Disney, Disney yeah. company. But that didn't happen. What do you, so what do you do? You, uh, that's a great question. You go home and you get into bed and you don't really know what to do. You don't want to get out of bed. And it's funny, you as a sports fan, you know, um, there's a lot of stuff that went on in the next couple of weeks, um, things that happened in the news, things that started to come out. Um, and I wasn't really taking any phone calls because, yeah. you know, I, I've been hired at ABC News when I was 19 years old. I was hired after my freshman year of college. Uh, they moved me to New York to finish at Fordham so I could work at the network. I'd worked at the White House. I had worked for ABC. I mean, I had had this career that had just been firing on all cylinders and told yeah. by both Disney and ESPN, you are, you are a future leader of this company. And now it's pulled out from underneath of you. So there was a, a part of me that thought, wow, I'm gonna be able to take a break now that I have never had in my whole life. I didn't, yeah. um, but the other part of me was, this is, this is humiliating and I'm not exactly sure what just went down, um, but something did. And I, there was one phone call that I took, which you yeah. will appreciate. And I we- remember where I was, our house in the Palisades, Please tell me it was Barry Bonds being like, let's talk, motherfucker. Right? No, it was a phone call. It rang, and I didn't pick up, and then it rang again. I knew who it was, and I picked up, and it was Pete Carroll. And he he and I had become friendly. He and his amazing wife, Glenna, had become friendly when he recommended a young talent, Yogi Roth, to me, who I, you know, set up on some shows, the Elite 11 on ESPN. Now he's he's just killing it. Um, but he called me and said, you know, you should hire this kid. He's yeah. amazing. He wrote my book. He was my assistant coach. So I pick up and he says, how you doing? I, I, I mean, how, how he knew what was going on, I'm not really sure. But I said, yeah. I, I'm not. Well, he's Pete Carroll. He yeah, knows. he knows. I said, not great. And he said, All right, did I ever tell you my story about when I was coaching the Patriots? And he just started to talk, and he just started to tell me about, like, I look at the name of your podcast, Failing Forward. And this is what I love about having been in sports, and the greatest in sports are the ones that say, you got to come back. You got to get up. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you're going to lose. That's part of life. Not everybody gets a trophy. You're going to lose. I had never gone through this. This is a big loss for me. But that's what he was telling me. It was a nice, hey, checking on you, and it was also a get up. Yeah. And what are you going to do next? And how can we help you? What it, I wonder, the highest percentage of any success in sports, probably the free throw. Like the average free thrower is still hitting three quarters of the time, mm-hmm. right? And even that, you're still missing. Right. And But then if you look at you know a jump shot or a three-point shot, if you look at maybe a kick, yeah. maybe a kicker yeah. has the highest percentage of accuracy. But all of these things you fail at, you have to fail at. Mm -hmm. And so as a sports fan, I always looked at that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and I go, okay, well that's, that's also why there's so many people who will say, oh, what's the point of sports and what's the, and it's like sports teaches you to lose. Exactly right. It teaches you that losing is part of life, Mm -hmm. which is also part of why I think, you know, a lot of Yankee fans are lazy uh, <laughs> because you're not learning, you know, oh, right. 27 championships would be right. like, talk to me when right. you have two. Right. That's much, you know, that's much more, or, yeah. or when you have none, Mariners right. fans, I'm sorry. But, 
<laughs> when you when you learn that losing is part of it and yep. that dusting yourself off is yeah. part of it, that's important. Well, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories that you will appreciate from, you know, people talk about 30 for 30 and mm-hmm. the success of it and, you know, a lot of revisionist history, but it's it was a fantastic group of people that built something really um, remarkable. Um, and I was thrilled to be a part of it. But we did documentaries before that. And one of them was a documentary that Kelly Ripa and Mark Consuelos, her husband, brought to me um, through, at that time, her agent, Jim Ornstein. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. But I don't think still so, no. Is one of, so we, we were trying, we were pushing and saying, we believe documentaries are going to do well on ESPN. There was yeah. pushback, of course, because it was something new. They hadn't done it before. So I get approached by Kelly Rip and Mark and Swales, and they bring me the most remarkable story about this re- high school wrestling team in Brandon, Florida, who hadn't lost in 36 years. And you think you think wrestling, if you're a sports fan, you think wrestling, you think Iowa, Pennsylvania, yeah. Michigan, you know, those are regionally you think of that. So they this for over the years they'd gotten a lot of pushback. Oh, you're from Florida, of course, you're a really good team. But the coach had opened it up to other states and said, if you come down in the off season and you wrestle us and you beat us, we'll consider the streak broken. No one could beat them. Yeah. So I get a call or I get they come in and pitch it to me. I go to ESPN and I said to John Skipper, I want to do this documentary on high school wrestling. And he said no yeah which is absolutely the right decision right he says documentary high school and wrestling no yeah um so i went back and i went and went ahead and got john hawk jonathan hawk an amazing filmmaker and said hey would you go with me down to florida i want to meet this coach and so we went and i sat with the coach and we talked about why this season he would be open to us following them um, and he gave us a lot of stuff off the record that I still, to this day, I, I honor that. But it, but at the end, I asked him, what is the best thing that is going to happen if this team loses? And he smiled, and I'll never forget it. And he said, I'm really looking forward to coaching a team that figures out how to come back from a loss. Wow, that's great. And it, I mean, I still get chills when I think about it. And yeah. at that moment, and you know, the funny part of the story is then I greenlit the film, went back, went to two more meetings with John Skipper and said, hey, the streak. And he said, no, the streak, the next meeting. Yeah. No, and then he said, how much is it going to cost me to never hear you mention the streak again? And then we premiered it at Tribeca Film Festival. Everyone's crying. It gets nominated for a sports Emmy. You know, I mean, I don't even know where it is. I don't know if you can find it, but Kelly and Mark, who are very passionate about kids and athletics and activity, like we just, we went into this saying, we want to tell this story, but that quote from that man changed me. I mean, it it made it possible to do the documentary and to see him handle these, these kids after they did eventually lose. Sorry, spoiler. But that's the way I look at life and sports and story is that the comeback that's the beautiful part of a story is the comeback. Yeah. And you cannot have the comeback without losing. You can't. You can't. Yeah. It, it was funny. I was talking to my boyfriend the other day about there was some big Ireland. It was Cork, Dublin rugby game. And everybody was, you know, going on about it and going on. And a few hours in, I said, how's it going? And they said, oh, game's over. Tied. <laughs> and I texted and I texted with his whole family and they're in Ireland. And I said, what do you mean a tie? And they... They were desperate for this game. Oh, we're going to play again in three weeks. And they did. And then, you know, Dublin went on to beat. But it was unbelievable to me. I just thought, like, that's the whole point of sports. It's so strange to me when a game can end in a tie. 
Like, figure something out. It, like, do something. It's, and in, you can and in, in the, the season, it's sometimes it's okay. But, like, yeah. when you're talking about a championship, there's a winner and there's a loser, yeah. and it happens now. I was... I was way older than I'd like to admit when I found out that the NFL can end in a tie. I remember seeing it in the standings once, and I was like, there's a typo here? What is, what is this? <laughs> right. And, yeah, it was. Uh, I still remember it. It was a Vikings game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't have any passion for the Vikings either way, but I right. was like, why? Right. Why is this a tie? Right. Figure it out. <laughs> Some crown someone. And, I mean, that's not even a championship. It's just a regular game. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. And that's also why I'll never get into cricket, just the idea of, like, just takes too long to figure long. out. Yeah. 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 Like when someone told me I was in London and there was some big championship and they, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, how long does it last? And they're like, oh, you know, usually like five, seven days. And I was like, oh, like the World Series is like that too. And they were like, no, no, just for one match. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely not. I want to go to sleep knowing who won. Right. <laughs> yeah. If I have to stay up till three in the morning, I, that's I'll do fine. It. That's fine. But I want to stay. I want to, I want to know who won. Yeah. Absolutely. That's part of it. Uh, anyway, um, tell us how people can find out more about you. What are you working on now? What? Sure. So um, because of uh, the 30 for 30 and the storytelling and the journalism side at ABC, um, I was approached by a venture capitalist here in L.A. who said, can you create the 30 for 30 meets ABC News around jobs and employment mm-hmm. and structural unemployment? And I said, no. That sounds really boring. <laughs> and he'll admit to this. No, that's boring. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. But absolutely not. Um, and he had me agree to do a three-month development where I went around and I did the same thing. We talked to directors, producers, actors. And I just said, tell me, what's your passion story? What do you want to, ta- what do you want to talk about? Yeah. And we realized over 95% of the 100-plus pitches we took were all about work and jobs and having some sense of um, reason to be in your yeah. life. Um, and so now we are four and a half years later, we, you know, CNN released a film and, you know, uh, PBS is, we have a ton of content and a ton of award-winning journalists that work for us. Yeah. Um, and in November, Clint Eastwood just gave us a grant to do a whole month of content about veterans and work. Um, but we're also, we also talk about sports. We talk about at South by Southwest, I moderated a panel that Trent Dilfer was on and, yeah. Brett O'Brien, uh, SVP of Gatorade, talking about you don't have to be LeBron James or Serena Williams to be in sports. There's lots of ways to be in a field with whatever skill you have. Yeah. So be it data and analytics, be it you know being a comedian and using your skill to be in that space. So it's an interesting, it's, it's all storytelling, but it's funny that it all came full circle and it's about a job. Yeah, that's funny that, yeah, the, the job, I mean, your story is about a job. Anyway, Joan, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it was a pleasure. And, you know, and uh, it's fun to, you know, people heard my side of that story. And so it's fun to hear, you know, what happened to you. Yeah. So it's thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, thank you. 